Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, once again we come to Thee and ask that You would be with us. Bless us in the continuance of this service. May it be honoring unto You and edifying to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we come back to 1 John chapter 2, the last uh, verses, uh, last two verses. Uh, I thought I I would finish these two verses this morning, but uh, time uh, caught up with me and I'm quite sure I'll finish them this afternoon and might even might even get started on chapter 3. But uh, it says, And now little children abide in Him that when He shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. And we took one sermon and looked at that word appear and then last Lord's Day, both sermons were uh, based on this word coming. And we saw that this has to do with the second coming of Christ when He comes back in His bodily form. And this morning, we studied mainly this word uh, confidence, which is the idea of Boldness and unashamedness, and uh, and and while uh, we believe that this has to do with uh, all of God's children, because it says, "And now little children abide in Him," though some have said that we have that we may have confidence and not be ashamed at His coming. Some have looked at that with regard to the ministry not being ashamed in their stewardship, but I I believe that it, uh, the verse has to do with all of the Lord's children because here again, that word little children, as it's sprinkled throughout uh, this book, denotes talking to all of God's children. The only exception would be the word little children in verse 13. Uh, because the little children in verse 12 is the same as little children in verse 28 and uh, verse 1 and so on. But the word in verse 13, little children, is a separate word. And I think we, if you remember, we ran that with regard to uh, uh, small a child in grace, a little child in grace. In other words, uh, though it might have to do with one uh, young in age, uh, it would also may apply to uh, someone in their uh, adult years that just newly converted. They would be a a new child, uh, a little child in grace. And we ran it from that standpoint. But we won't go back through all of that. But 
Uh, we left off this morning, and I wanted to give some attention to this word ashamed, not ashamed, because uh, uh, if we had tried to take it up and give it justice, we would have gone beyond our normal time limit, uh, and therefore that's the reason we cut it off. Often we have the idea which is valid that if Christ has died for all our sins, how is it that we might be ashamed when He comes back because He's already paid for all our sins? And the way that I uh, have looked at these passages, some that we looked at this morning, that being brought before the judgment seat of Christ, that we still have to give an account for our stewardship. Our stewardship. It has nothing to do with our relationship. Once a child of grace always a child of grace. But there seems to be some judgment that we will have and part of this not being ashamed has to do with our salvation. Part of it has to do with our I believe, with our stewardship. Uh, there's a passage um, looking forward, uh, looking for uh, First Corinthians chapter three. I didn't, I didn't have this written down. First Corinthians chapter three. I'll begin at verse eleven, kind of breaking into the context. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Now notice this. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because he shall, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now, I don't know how you can get anything else out of that other than the fact that uh, if he's God's child, he's going to be saved. He's not going to be in danger of hell fire. 
but there are some either rewards or loss that's to be evaluated when our Lord returns. And I think John is alluding to this in verse 28 when he says, And now little children abide in Him, that when He shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. Now, you say, what all is going to be involved in that? I don't know. I can't say that. But I believe there's going to be some kind of evaluation as to how we live here on this earth. Let's look at this word ashamed. It's only used five times in the New Testament. Luke 16. Luke 16. This has to do with the unjust steward. I'll start in verse 1. And he said also unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig to beg I am ashamed. There's the word, ashamed. It just simply means to be ashamed. That we're going to be ashamed before the Lord. Now, there is some ashamed now, obviously, and uh, you know, the Apostle Paul I've often wondered how Paul dealt with the fact of him persecuting even unto death, some of the saints. No doubt when Paul went to Jerusalem, he met kinfolks of people that he had persecuted. I know that there are certain sins in my past that haunt me. And while I believe that the Lord has forgiven me, in the righteousness of Christ, because if He hasn't, there's no way I could seek forgiveness. But I wish I could take you back, as it were. But there's no way that I can. There's no way that I can undo. Or uh, some that come to mind sometimes, uh, I don't know how I could even seek 
restitution. But I wonder about things like that as well as I wonder about some of my own lethargy as I go about day by day. Uh, as you know, I live alone, uh, and I could make better use of my time than what I do sometimes. Uh, I also know that uh, because of my age, and uh, I'm not as sharp mentally as I used to be, and sometimes I'll read, be reading and studying and have to quit a lot quicker than and normal and things of that nature. But I also know that I could, no doubt, I know that I could do better. I wonder how serious sometimes I take uh, my Christian service. But I realize and know this. I'm going to give an account to God. I believe that. And I believe that uh, we really don't uh, appreciate that as much as we ought. You know, when we read that in 1 Corinthians 10.13 this morning, Paul said, Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. I wonder just how much of the terror of the Lord we do uh, understand. Well, this word is used. Let's go on. Next place is in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In verse 8. For though I should boast somewhat of our authority which the Lord hath given us for edification, not for destruction, I should not be ashamed. Paul said, in essence, what he's saying here, that he instructed the, the congregation at Corinth like he ought to, that he not be ashamed. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 20, According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Paul said, I'm going to live in such a way that my, I cannot, I'm not ashamed of my life that I'm not ashamed of my life. Now, let me throw in a caveat here. We don't want to get to the point that we think, well, I've arrived, and, uh, you know, look at me. I'm, I'm the example, and I know I've done everything right and, and things of that nature. We're not talking about that kind of boldness nor confidence. Uh, 
But we are talking about something that's going to take place before the Lord, I believe, in the future. And then we have 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 16. If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. In other words, he'd already talked about how that we ought to live before the Lord. And uh, verse 15, he said, Let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. In other words, if we uh, are involved in those things, isn't it, isn't it, isn't it uh, quite unique that he would put murderers and busybodies in the same category? And if we, we're involved in being a busybody, we say, well, you know, I'd never murder anybody. What about being a busybody? What about, what about involving yourself in something that's none of your business? And every one of us, like an old mule, likes to prick our ears up at gossip and hearsay. But we should not suffer as a busybody and be ashamed. Some other verses that are kindly related to it. And I think these verses that we're beginning to look at may have more to do with salvation than with stewardship. But I do want to look at them in Romans chapter 9. First of all, Romans chapter 9. And I'll just read the verse. I'm depending on, I was thinking about going back and getting some of the context. Of course, this having to do with uh, Israel and the Gentiles and so on. But verse 33, As it is written, Behold, I lay in Sion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. That whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. That's a quote from Isaiah. Chapter 8. In other words, this word, ashamed, this is not the same word ashamed. This is a different Greek word. In fact, in Isaiah, it, it's the word confounded. There is a sense with regard to the salvation of God, 
that we won't be ashamed when the Lord returns. But I believe there's a sense with regard to our stewardship, we'll still be children, but He's going to judge us accordingly. You remember the parable where the Lord gave the talents out and He gave one five talents and another two talent and another one talent? And He commended the one that had the five talents and said He'd make him ruler over uh, ten cities and the two talent breed rulers over I believe five cities and but the man that buried his talent he 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 rebuked him he rebuked him what I'm trying to say is I'm afraid too often we have a uh, licentious attitude that Christ has died for our sins and yes we ought to live right and holy and and God's children will will believe and they will follow the Lord and all of that but you know uh, after all when the end comes uh, it really doesn't matter because we're still going to be with the Lord Well, as I read the Scriptures throughout, I don't get that. And I can't read, read go back and reread some of the ones we read this morning uh, for that, but uh, where it talks about that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And Paul said the Thessalonians of them that uh, he was going to uh, rejoice uh, in them at the coming of the Lord and things of that nature. I guess what I'm trying to say, and maybe it's just me, maybe it's not you, and if it's not you, praise the Lord. But I guess what I'm trying to say, I think we're too insensitive to sin. We're too insensitive to the need for drawing nigh to God and living and abiding in Him in a close and a close fellowship. Oh yeah, we're, we're sinners. Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to be saved. We're saved by grace without works and, and so on and so forth and all will be well in the end. Well, there's going to be some that He's going to say, Depart from me, for I never knew you. And those were some that said, Lord, did we not prophesy in Thy name? And did we not do mighty, mighty, uh, mighty works in Your name? Religious folks that thought they were serving God when in reality they weren't. That's one of the most horrible things I can think of is to stand before the Lord and realize I was wrong. Not only about my salvation, but what about standing before Him even in my stewardship? Now some people, when you talk about this, they say, well, 
you know, uh, I might lose out on a few uh, few rewards or, or something. I might lose out on something, but I'm still going to be saved and that's enough for me. Well, I don't think that's the attitude we ought to have either. When I was living at home and I was given an assignment to do something and my dad went off or my mother went off and uh, and I was left alone, I shouldn't have had the attitude and say, well, I'm still their child whether I get this done or not, so it really doesn't matter. No. If, the, if they gave me an assignment to get something done, and I didn't have it done when they got home, I felt ashamed. I felt ashamed at their coming. And the Lord didn't put these verses in the Bible for no reason. He said, Abide in Him, that we not be ashamed before Him at His coming. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Picking up in verse 6, Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. There's that word confounded or that's translated ashamed in Romans 9. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were called. The idea of disobedience there is just, uh, uh, you know, it's not good. Calvin said of this, uh, actually I'm quoting John Calvin as Pink quoted Calvin from Pink's commentary, hence it is the godly calm waiting for Christ, nor do they dread His coming. So I wanted to emphasize that somewhat with regard to not being ashamed at His coming. Now we come down to verse 29. 1 John 2.29 I hope I haven't uh, raised more questions than I've answered. But there's something involved in that. If you know that He is righteous, you know everyone that doeth righteousness is born of Him. Now, the first word that's translated know 
is our word that we looked at at the beginning of this epistle, Ido. And the second one is Gnosko. And uh, the way that we try to explain that, and we won't go back and look at all of the different verses and so on, but Gnosko is uh, just general knowledge, and Ido would be more like uh, knowledge with uh, an uh, with a more uh, intense understanding. For example, I know by studying electricity that uh, if I touch a hot wire, it's going to shock me. That's Gnosko. If I touch a hot wire and I feel the effects of it, that's Ido. I really know it then. So this is, he's used this, he said, we know, that's Ido, we know that He is righteous, or if we know that He is righteous, if we really know it, if we really have that experiential knowledge, that true knowledge, that knowledge in depth, then we also know, obviously, that everyone that does righteousness or doeth righteousness is born of Him. What He's saying here that He who practices righteousness is born of God. It's not an individual that does something right every once in a while and kind of stumbles up on it and does something right. But it's talking about somebody who really practices it. I appreciate what Pink said regarding this verse. He said, It scarcely needs pointing out that honesty requires that we first faithfully test ourselves by this rule before we apply it to others. In other words, we say, well, I, I'm looking at somebody else. In other words, Pink said, we need to uh, apply it to ourselves first. Am I practicing righteousness? If I'm not practicing righteousness, then how can I say that I am righteous? But it says here, he that is righteous, that is he that is practicing righteousness. He that lives day by day by day. And we know that anyone that does that is born of God. How do I know that I'm born of God? Am I living righteously? If I'm living like the world, I talk like the world, I act like the world, I justify the world and their wickedness, who, how can I say that I am righteous? It's obvious that we know that God is righteous. It's obvious that we know that.
I may have this a little bit ahead of time, but Weist in his translation of this, uh, here's the way he translated it, this verse. If you know absolutely that He, that is God, is righteous, you know experimentally, or experientially, excuse me, that everyone who habitually does this aforementioned righteousness, which God is, out from Him has been born with the present result that that one is a born one. In other words, the only way that I know that a person is born again or not is how he's living. And if he's not living a righteous life, I cannot say, and I do not have the right to say, that he is righteous. You say, well, how do we know whether he's living a righteous life or not? Is he living according to the Word of God? Is he living according to the Word of God? Now let me say this. It is not how a person starts out, but it's how a person ends up. I've known people. In fact, uh, uh, I'm thinking about an individual uh, right now that at one time seemed to be on fire for the Lord, even did some preaching and thought they were called to preach and this, that, and the other, who later on uh, left his wife for no good reason just because he wanted to and is now out of the congregation of God. It's not how he started, it's how he ends up. I know of another situation where an individual uh, from their youth up was raised in a godly home. And uh, this happens to be a woman. And y'all don't know this, so don't start trying to guess. <laughs> I don't know about this person. But anyway, uh, but now uh, she's talking about uh, leaving her husband and uh, even saying that maybe God has women ministers and things of that nature, which is a direct violation of the Word of God. Well, it sure doesn't look good for that woman. But everyone that knows that God is righteous, they're going to live righteously. The person that is living righteously has evidence of his new birth and living righteousness, living righteously is not a condition for being born again is an evidence of being born again. And those who are living and practicing unrighteously, we cannot say, or at least I cannot say, that they're born again, and I cannot say that they are a child of grace. 
You say, well, maybe they're one of the elect and God's going to change them later. If He changes them later, then I can say so. In John 3.36 He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That second believeth not is the same word as in First Peter, disobedient. In other words, if a person is not a believer, he's disobedient to the Word of God. Now obviously, I think this verse ultimately is talking about any of those who are not the Lord's. But, If a person is an unbeliever, the only thing that I can say of that unbeliever is that he's under the judgment of God at that time, experientially. He may not be legally if he happens to be one of the elect later, but we, we don't know whether he is or isn't. We can't say. The only thing we can say is to believe. And the only, reason a, the only reason a person can believe, he has to first be born again. So, John as we have seen so far in this little epistle, he sure is pretty strict, is he not? You can't deny the Son without denying the Father. And if you've been born again, you're going to be believing. You're going to be serving the Lord. But then there are some caveats that we make, need to make sure that they, it is a true belief. Now, verse 29 is really a good introduction into chapter 3. In fact, uh, one of my commentators uh, in giving an exposition of this, uh, put chapter, I mean, uh, yeah, verse 29 in together with first three or four verses of chapter 3. You remember that the original didn't have chapters and, and verses and things of that nature. We're going to Instead of going ahead and starting into chapter 3, we'll go ahead and close out. We'll cut it a little bit short. Uh, 
as the teacher would say in school, we'll let you out early today. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, I do want to just read it and let you be thinking about it. In fact, these first three verses anyway. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. That is astounding that I'm called a son of God. That's because God bestowed His love upon me. I wish I could Well, you know, as much as, as much as I preach against feeling, I wish I could feel that <laughs> more often than I do. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Now, we'll say this, and we'll dive into this when we get to it. The Son of God here in verses 1 and 2 is not the Son of God that's in uh, Galatians 4. The Son of God in Galatians 4 is, uh, is a son by adoption. Actually, it should be better called children of God here in 1 John 3. But because it's translated sons of God, a lot of people and a lot of theologians and all, they make adoption to be uh, take place at belief instead of adoption taking place before the world was like election. And I think it's a very... Uh, very uh, important point of doctrine that that distinction needs to be made. But I'll try to make that uh, as we go on uh, when we come back to it. But I'm a son of God now. And so are you. I'm a child of the grace. It doesn't appear what we shall be. But we know. Notice in that, the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. But we know, that the word know keeps popping up, that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Wouldn't you like to see the Lord uh, as He is right now? Well, someday you're going to. You're going to see Him as He is. And every man that hath this hope purifieth himself even as He is pure. You can see how that would uh, connect with verse 29 of chapter 2. If we know that He is righteous, we know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of Him. 
And everyone that has the hope that we're going to see Him and be like Him, they purify themselves even as He is pure. Well, think on those things. Uh, I kind of use that for an introduction uh, for now, and we'll, Lord willing, go over it again uh, next Lord's Day. Let's pray. Father, I sure wish I could explain Your Word better. I wish I understood it better. There are some things that You've said that seems to imply various things. And we say, well, how can that be? And, and so on. But as I have said so many times, just like Genesis 1-1, how is it that you created everything out of nothing? We sure don't know that, but we know that's what you said. And we believe it. And if there's a possibility of being ashamed at your coming, then I must believe it. Help me to be more serious. Forgive me of my lackadaisical attitude and spirit so oftentimes. Help me for my lack of production so often. Forgive me of past sins that haunt me. May I be blessed to lay them aside and could even say with the Apostle Paul that I've been forgiven because I did them ignorantly and in unbelief. No excuse for them. I do want to love you more. And yet I confess I'm still have a great deal of affection for this old sinful nature. <coughs> oh, wretched man that I am, even as the Apostle Paul will cry out, the Spirit lusteth against the flesh and the flesh against the Spirit. And these are contrary to the one to the other so that we cannot do the things that we would. Hard to explain these things, but I believe every child of grace to one degree or another has experienced and do experience them. Thank you for the justifying righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.